The Den. Conversations with Andrew Wolf. This week I've invited David Alfrey to The Den. David is a former military officer, chief executive and major events producer, now a freelance mentor, consultant and cultural diplomat. I've known David for several years and I have to say I've never met anyone with as much enthusiasm and passion for what he does. David, welcome to The Den. Oh, thank you very much. Very privileged to be uh, to be in the den. What a lovely way to start the day. Right. Well, first up, David, how are you, and what's how's your freelance life treating you? <laughs> yeah, I, I I think I'm sort of fortunate in in many ways. Um, so many people are having a really tough time. Um, I finished at the tattoo in in June last year, so I've had a lot of time to reflect and and try and develop my sort of new business, if I would call it that. It's it's pretty embryonic at the moment, and and COVID's not been a great time to start a, a new business. Lots of challenges, but also, you know, lots of, of fun. And so I've got a sort of ministrony of of work sort of going on at the moment, as you say, a sort of bit of business creative consultancy, some strategic planning, some mentoring, um, some public speaking and and lecturing as well. And and also time for a bit more for family and the local community and, you know, one's own interests, which has been a real pleasure having one's own programme back. So I I think I'm lucky in that. I think lots of other people have had a really tough time. Yeah, fantastic. You're, You're not one to stand still, that's for sure. No, I think I'm not sure. Nobody in our family. It's been an absolute pleasure. We've all been locked down together. I've got two grown up children and we've been locked down together. We've been locked down in our village um, since March last year. So we haven't really traveled a, a great deal. And the conversations around the sort of supper table have been absolutely brilliant. Um, and we've kept a pretty close interest on, on the world and the events business, which has been really tough. Um, nobody's in a shallow grave. We've all got on and it's been fantastic, actually. A real pleasure. Excellent. Good to hear. Now, David, you're my first military guest I've ever had on the den. In fact, you're one of the few military military people I know. Um, and I know you're also a very creative person. And, and this is this is the crux of what I want to explore with you is is how, how creative is the military? Is, is there any creativity? Go, is there any creativity goes on there? Yeah, well, it, of course. Um, there sort of has to be, really, um, and not as you'd expect. You, you have to be creative, otherwise the bad guy knows the direction you're coming from. So you have to be creative in, in all things. Now, there's a bit of a, a contradiction in that because uh, most military people are seen as being sort of quite logical, military, straightforward. Um, you know, they think in, in comparatively straight lines. And, of course, that is, that's also true because in the military you're normally dealt a pretty complicated hand um, you also change jobs every two years, which makes it, you know, more challenging. But you're always, whether you're in barracks, whether you're on training or whether you're on operations, your your problems are complex, always complex, um, whether it's the people, the intelligence, the operations, the sort of logistics you need, the planning, um, the public relations now, which is also a huge thing, the finance, all those different. So all the ingredients of, of business and of activity have to come together. So you have to be very clear what your aim is, you have to, be, and then stick to it. You have to be very logical, um, and uh, because to be less than logical is often sort of inefficient. And, and the military are very much ones for unity of purpose. That's almost, you know, that's almost our watchword, really. Get everyone going in the same direction. And, um, but then when it comes to building your solution and building your plan, you, you have to be indirect in your approach because binary solutions don't often work terribly well. Um, they, they're very simple, they're easy to execute because everyone understands them, but they don't give you the sort of nuanced 
effects you want out of it. So you've got to be in the army. They would not call it creativity. They'd call it um, they'd call it an indirect approach. They call it manoeuvrism, which is a state of mind. Isn't that interesting? Fascinating that, that the word creativity is actually probably it's a, it's a bit loaded for the military. Yeah, um, I, th I think it's really interesting there. You've talked about complex problems made simple. And something I always talk about our role as, as brand designers is we look at complex challenges from our clients and actually one of our skills is to create simplicity out of it um, and, and actually just laser focus on, on what's the challenge here and, and, and deliver against that. I'm sure that's right. And in business, it's, it's well, in any activity, I guess, it's terribly easy when you're close to the problem to have it shrouded in, in things that aren't really central to the issue. And, and I think uh, your and my business are about getting to the hub of, of what you want, but then applying right and left brain in equal measure. Um, most good solutions have got a nice balance, I think, of, Absolutely. of left and right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other thing I've always enjoyed um, is work, working with army people is that you say what you're going to do and you do it. Um, un unlike people in business who say what they're going to do and they don't, they just don't do it. It's like herding kittens sometimes. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. It, it's really, it's fascinating that, and it's quite challenging when you come out of the military because we, I'll get back to this business of unity of purpose. We've got a lot of, of things that help us do that. We're a very structured organisation. We're very hierarchical. Everybody wears a badge. Everybody knows where they fit in. Um, you can tell which tribal part of the army comes from somebody comes from mm -hmm. by the way they're dressed and, and the various bits and pieces they wear on their uniform. Even in, in you know, camouflage kit, there'll be markings on the helmet and on the jacket, which tells you who everybody is. So everybody knows where they fit in. And whilst we're quite discursive when we're building a plan, we're building an intelligence picture, we're understanding our environment, we're really quite discursive and, and inclusive. We'll take inputs from all sorts of people, including the full chain of command. But then when the plan is made, everybody, you know, there's a great big stamp. Everybody, you know, mentally salutes and gets on with it. And you, you'll adapt the plan. Of course you will, because very seldom does a plan carry out in quite the way you expect, not least if there's an enemy involved, because he's there to muck you about at every turn. But people are very unitary. And you will not only know your own mission, you'll know the mission of the, you know, the commander above you, and you'll know the mission of the commander above him or her. So you can see how your miserable part in something plays out right up to the higher commander's intent. Now, in civilian life, in business life, that is really, really difficult. Well, it, 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 it's, it's nice to imagine it, it should be somewhere in civilian life, in business life. Um, we should all know our roles and we should all be delivering against it. I'm not sure we do all the time. Um, no, and I think, you know, it's quite challenging. Some, most businesses work to a board of one sort or another, you know, depending on how well that board is chaired. Um, you know, that'll be eight or 12 different opinions, and you have to sort of sift through them to sort of work out, you know, what the real direction is. In the military, you'll get a really clear mission statement, and if you disagree with the mission statement, or you haven't got enough resources 
there's a mechanism to go back and say, look, I don't understand that, or you haven't given me enough stuff to do that. So it's very, very structured. And of course, when you come out the ambiguities of civilian life, you have to learn how to deal with those, both how to be a leader as a civilian business person, but also how to play your part as a team member, which, which is, which is you know, built in with the military. We're all sort of extremely good team members, but it, it's Well, well I've, I've always thought that. I mean, uh, the, the few military people I've come across in my, my career, um, I've found them to be amazing team people, te you know, and, and, and I come back to, they say what they're going to do and they deliver it, you know, that, that something's going to be with you. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Until you sort of get jolly senior where, you know, you are at the top of the pyramid. Um, actually, egos don't play sort of that much into the story really because you're not expected to be a singular part you're expected to be part of a machine yeah, and yeah. and that means if you're being a good a good military person your your own ego should be pretty subordinate inevitably as a leader you have to sort of stand out a bit from the pack but but everybody should be just focused as part of a team and and everybody should feel an equal part in it so you're clearly very well placed to talk on this, David, because you, you moved out of the army and into this, um, this arts organisation called the Royal Edinburgh Military Tattoo, um, which is, is a sort of a hybrid between military and, and private sector, I imagine, is it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's a fascinating organisation. I mean, it's, it's been there for 70 plus years now. And it it's normally has, um, uh, in varying forms, a military chief executive or a military producer because it's got its roots in military performance. Um, and it's a big affair. It'll involve about 1,000 or 1,200 or 1,400 people every year. Um, the team comes together very fast. It rehearses very fast. Uh, and then it, it has to have the discipline to hold that line and that creative excellence, if you will, for a full month. Um, all outdoors, which is quite sporting physically, um, and it's a charity, so if it is lucky enough to make a surplus, you know, through ticket sales, that, that money then goes into the charitable company where it sort of feeds back into the system and, and we support both the arts and military charities, which is... And, and, and going, going back into creativity in, in that role, David, where, where was creativity in, in your role as, as producer at the, at the tattoo? Well, it, you're absolutely right. And I hesitate to call it schizophrenia because that has, sort of, it has all sorts of connotations. But the chief executive and the producer in my brain were, were constantly arguing because the chief executive didn't want to spend any money at all and the producers wanted to spend all of it. So there'd be all sorts of conversations going on in the shaving mirror in the morning as to where the priorities were. Quite useful to have the two in, in one person. Plus, I was effectively the de facto creative director. So I had a wonderful, um, a wonderful opportunity to, um, to be creative, both in business and in, in delivering the show, and hopefully made the right decisions that you know, the creative piece was in balance with the business needs. And, and in, in your role there over the time, was it seven years you were at the tattoo? I was there nine, actually. During that period, did you find you, you, you use creativity differently? or you, you... Very much so. Uh, very much so. I've learned a, I learned a staggering amount from... I was alongside some shockingly talented people um, in that journey, particularly um, you know, in our supply chain. Um, I talk about sound designers, lighting designers, projection designers occasionally costume and, and so forth. But um, I sort of knew how to bring all the sort of mechanical elements together. And I understood the technology pretty well because I was sort of in the military, I was pretty involved in technology one way or another. 
what i hadn't done of course was had as much emphasis on the assembling of a show which was based around music and that was a tremendous journey and i i sort of just when i started i said i wanted to time the show on the black dots i didn't want anyone using a stopwatch or um, serials i wanted people to listen to the music and when a particular note was played that would be the signal for various things to happen and that ensured that everything was very well sequenced around the music so i learned a lot about music production in general we had an amazing sound designer who has designed the most extraordinary system which allows very big groups of people to move about and all to be microphoned in a very subtle way so that every single person in that very big audience is getting the same sound wow. because it's all the show is always live it's not recorded so you, you you have a choir at one end you'll have a set of fiddle players somewhere else you'll have a band that's moving about the band might be four or five parts to it and every band has got 30 different instruments in it then you've got bagpipes that you know uh, 90 decibels with only two volume settings and it's a it's a huge challenge to bring that sound into a mix where a harp might be heard amongst the bagpipes and and would and I'm interested would would the harp be wired for sound as well as the bagpipes would yes it, would it absolutely would? would but of course the, the the big physics challenge was the to do is the esplanade's about 75 meters long which is almost exactly the wavelength of a sound wave so it would take a second for sound to get from one end to the other and so acoustic instruments with electric instruments was your next challenge um, and mixing all that together so every microphone we eventually knew the distance at any one time from a particular microphone whether it's attached to the, the musician or it was a fixed microphone to the amplifiers and the desks and then from the desks to the speaker that wow. was in front of every single person in the audience. Incredible. So you had a sort of um, a sort of bubble of sound around each input and each output and thousands of calculations every second to remix the sound based on where the band was. So as the band moved, the mix would change by the millisecond. It was astonishing what he, what he did. And of course, all that, of course, is being watched by the projection team by the lighting team by those that are calling the cues and amazingly the tattoo we we never had a, a caller it's a very traditional thing to have a show caller who calls the cues um, people were so focused on it we we didn't it just literally followed the music and, and everyone fantastic. got the right and, way so and and, and go, 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 I, I know you had themes every year so you you worked with the national themes that were established by the scottish government and and you'd establish that theme and deliver the tattoo to that theme to a certain extent um i mean i'm interested was that was that the core of the creative bubble if you like um it, it was always a consideration certainly um we had to make a sort of judgment with which service the armed services was going to lead what the big mm -hmm. national events were of a particular year what big anniversaries were coming up things of our own interest that we wanted to sort of cover and i would always try and support a government initiative so if you know scottish government or visit scotland was was doing something i would try and and lock into that not always slavishly but try and make a, a story that sort of fitted into that general narrative because scottish government and business scotland were extremely generous in their support yeah, of yeah. of of the tattoo not not in financial terms but in moral support and i think you know it's a very good brand for scotland so 
I would start literally in probably about July as we're coming to the August period. I'd be starting to think about what next year would be. And in fact, we tried to have frames and, and themes three and four years out. Mm. By the time we got to the end of the run, we were having quite detailed conversations with the teams about how the creative was going to develop. We'd have a storyboard probably ready in early September and we'd be filling it with all the ingredients that you sort of needed. And then by the new year, there's really serious development going on with, with music, with composition, with arrangements, the lighting design being done. And, and, did, and did, you find, did you find the first month or so was the most creative time and, and then you're, you're into planning and delivery. So you've actually got to, you've got to get that, that first Absolutely. month or so. Absolutely. And, and I find with my team, the creative bit, frankly, was pure pleasure and recreation. I mean, I just absolutely loved it. Um, you'd sit with a, quite a small group of people and sketch out what you thought the ideas would be. And converting that to a storyboard was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. And then shaping it because something wouldn't work or you hadn't got the right assets or you couldn't afford something or you wanted to spend a little bit more. And of course, that's not happening just in the physical space. It's happening now in the digital space. So you're designing for for, for television as well as for a live audience and you're designing for a digital audience mm. and and then the marketing comes on top of that so it's it, oh, it's a most amazing job for people who you know enjoy yeah, but it. Yeah is, but isn't it interesting that creativity is actually a small percentage of the year's work to get to that moment when you you you, you play the first it, Indeed and I think um, I learned a lot about um, how you take an idea and you then shape it for other people both in, in the written word in the spoken word, in the in the in the image word, because I find you know storyboards save me an awful lot of repetition, you yeah. know. And then you'd have to you'd have to sell it because you know some of the directors of music would feel a bit you know mm, not sure about that, and um, some others would get excited about it. And some of the practical moves, you know, you'd have a sort of oh my god from your your military team. We don't do that. We did it in 2019. We decided we were going to make a, a human kaleidoscope. And I remember that, you know, talking to the drum majors and they just said that you can't get people to march in a circle. Don't be ridiculous. Um, in fact, it was stunning. So you had to continually be, you had to continually shape your theme. And right up to the, the moment when the curtain went up, when if you didn't get the theme being presented right, so you were acting more yeah, as a yeah. director rather than a pure creative, if that makes sense. Yeah, but, but actually selling, selling in the idea and selling in that core idea. If, if the idea is a kaleidoscope, just, just hold it and keep it going and, and carry it all the way through right up to the last moment. Just, just remember. And so dramatic when you, when you got it, when it worked, it was just a complete pleasure. I think about three or four times during my time there, we had standing ovations during a track. Wow. which is astonishing when it happens. And we were never able to define what created that special moment. And, but you could, almost, you could almost hear it coming if you weren't mm -hmm. watching. You could sense that something really extraordinary, and you can't design that. That, that last 5% is, is something very special, I think. You can sort amazing, of try and amazing. design it. And, and David, how creative can the massed pipes and drums be? Oh, God, um, fantastically so, actually. And in fact, I think the beastly instrument has, has eight different notes or nine different <laughs> notes. It is the most extraordinary instrument because it, it A, is, is very loud, B, it's got a very um, limited range of notes that you can play, and, and B, it doesn't seem to tune with anything else. So if you, you want to play with a band or you want to play with guitars and things, you have to be really clever. 
about how it do you do it and you also have to be true to the traditional piping art which is very structured and very traditional and tremendous amount of heritage and you can't tread on the toes of that you you have to respect that so mixing it with orchestral pieces in particular where you might have six or seven hundred musicians playing Sometimes we just ask the pipers to start the drones and not actually play the chanter at all because we wanted the drone sound to, to lend to the orchestration. Um, and sometimes play quite short passages within the thing, which of course is not really the way the instrument is played, but very challenging for them to have to play to somebody else and for everyone else to have to play to them yes. whilst marching and keeping the bag inflated and moving your fingers correctly and looking jolly smart at the same time. So the pipers are masters of the, of the sort of patting the head and rubbing the tummy thing. They're, they're extraordinary people and, and deserve the accolades. Incredible. Um, David, moving, moving on from, from the tattoo for a moment, and that's obviously been a huge, huge part of your life, but who were the main creative influences in, in, in that phase or, or in your life generally? Gosh, yeah, that's an interesting question, isn't it? I, I suspect that I've, I think like you, Andrew, I draw inspiration from just about everything I touch or see or hear. I, I, there's not a day goes by when I'm not looking at a negative space against a tree line or I'm mm -hmm. seeing a particular colour or I'm hearing something or somebody says something or something weird happens in technology. Um, so I love the way all that comes together. Are there particular influences? Gosh, um, I had a very unattractive spinal condition when I was in my early teens and I couldn't play sport. And I was given watercolour lessons as a substitute for that and learnt to watercolour paint quite early. And I think that gave me, I painted on and off all my life probably. And I listened to music quite a lot against all the sort of, all the sort of metrics. But if you said, gosh, what is the inspiration? I think, I think my obsession, probably, I have two secret obsessions. One is Leonardo, of course, da Vinci, who I just, I've got all the books, all the drawings. I'm obsessed by the way he worked. Um, uh, his short attention span really impresses me that he's able to do what he did. But the way he drew, the way he mixed nature with technology and, and his tremendous eye for everything, I think was, is incredibly inspirational. And of course, one tries to copy his drawings occasionally and, and makes an appalling job of yeah, it. And, and, and on, on Leonardo, I mean, there's a creative butterfly. He had a, a short attention span. I, I, I wonder if highly creative people actually, they, they, they need to flip between ideas and, and, and onto the next I, one. I, the I'm next sure one. that's right. And, and I find, I mean, people always mock me by saying he'll have a hundred ideas in a day. And two of which are useful and that's probably right so you say well okay that's not bad that's 60 great ideas a month um that, that's enough for most people but you do need a you need a you need a manager you need a you need a trainer really who's close by and i've always right through my military life i've tried to pair with somebody who's really incredibly precise and very focused who knows me well enough to say that's great you can only go that far the logistics will only allow you to do that and can i bring you back on track i want that's to nail this one that's down. very interesting I mean, I'm, as you know i'm the sole owner of my business and i don't have a right hand man who is that level headed uh, okay how are we going to do this Andrew? i'm jumping off the ceilings and having ideas every every two minutes of the day 
uh, well, how are we going to deliver it? And, yeah. and actually, I'm, and I'm I think that those people are extraordinary. Most great generals have got a quiet, I wouldn't call them introspective, introverted person, but somebody who's got a very, just a very yeah. steady mind. Most of really, them really are really behind. Yeah, um, and I, I've studied Andrew Carnegie a bit in the last year, and, and, and he had what he called his mastermind group around him, who were her as generals who actually brought him back down to earth, and he was off, you know, yeah, m making his billions, but actually had this, this very clever group around him who did the stuff that he didn't like doing. And I think it's also, I think you're absolutely right, and I think technically too, imagination goes way beyond. Really good creativity will be, by its nature, innovative. It will go beyond the boundaries of what other people thought. You can reimagine stuff, but in, in many ways, I find that slightly idle creativity. Mm -hmm. Real creativity is something really new, and you normally need your hand to be held at some point. If you say to somebody, I want to do this with sound, and your sound designer looks at you and goes, I'm not sure that's possible. You say, well, can we test it? Brilliant. Uh, and, and absolutely stunning if, if we've not done it before. And I remember we used at the tattoo, we used low frequency sound. I wanted to imitate the sound of being on a container ship at sea. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get this throbbing so that every time you hit a wave, there was a sort of bump. And we got the sound right down to sort of 600 hertz. It was phenomenal. And it started upsetting cats because it rolls <laughs> soft, you know, low frequency sound really rolls quite a long way. And we had to stop it. It was, it made the stands vibrate and it, and it upset animals particularly. And uh, we, we couldn't ever use it in the show, but my God, it gave a theatrical effect. It was fantastic. I, I, I love the thought that you push boundaries in creativity to the point that actually it feels a bit dangerous. Uh, I think I mean, you I, have to, and, yeah. and then come back, and sensible people who are real experts. I, I think producers are not expert in anything. I think they, they, look, they look for great experts, they, but they say, flight of fancy, flight of fancy, which way could we go? What's your next step? And I think that's where producers add the value, but they're not experts. Most producers know a little bit about lots, but not and, and, and the in detail. My, my life, in, in my life, I bring in the client into that equation and the client was brave. Um, a, a good example being the famous um, Aberdeen Standard Life rebrand that happened recently. They're now called Aberdeen, A-B-R-D-N. <laughs> yes. Um, and and I, I started off being very critical of it and very concerned about it. But then actually I, I pivoted to thinking, actually, this was really brave. I think, I think the, clients, the client's been amazing on this project. They've actually let the designer go somewhere that actually a lot of people would never have gone there. A lot of companies would never have gone there, and they've, they've actually taken that step. Uh, do you know, and I think that is the best sort of innovation, because innovation should, it, just good ideas in business are, are not enough. They've got to be, you've got to monetize them. They've got to deliver a useful revenue at the end of the day. And I think that also in business, people have got to be mindful of their heritage, because quite a lot of their customers will be head and heart attached to them because of something that's happened years back. So you've got to sort of be respectful of that, but also you've got to be pushing the right hand end so Absolutely, you're, yeah. you're not yeah. remaining linked constantly with the past. Yeah, here in Edinburgh, we've got this golden turret has appeared in the east end of Edinburgh. And that, <laughs> yes, that's a splendid a, new architectural And a heritage centre like Edinburgh has to move forward. You can't just treat, hold it in aspic and never move forward. It's and of course, that's one of the great tensions, of course, isn't it, in any great city, is, is those that enjoy a sort of, as you say, a peaceful time versus those that want to bound ahead in, in um, some new yeah. direction. It's, it's very tough, that.
Absolutely. David, a couple, couple more questions. I'm conscious of time here. Um, your LinkedIn profile lists you as a cultural diplomat. I'm aware you went all around the world uh, uh, being a diplomat for the tattoo, but uh, I'm fascinated by that, that job title. What, can, can you tell yeah, us what's involved? It's, it's, I'm afraid it's self-conjured. So um, I, I've tried to, you know, LinkedIn's always a bit of a horrible discipline. You're having to sort of try and work out what you actually do. And, and what is actually valuable and what's just sort of nonsense. Um, I, I'm very blessed. I, I visited uh, upwards of 60 countries during my life and, and some of them in, in very great depth. And I've become over the years an enormous respecter of other people's cultures. I'm really struck by how many cultures outside our own pre-existed ours by thousands of years. Mm. And you know, you know, Colombia, for goodness sake, I mean, gosh, Colombian culture goes back just more than almost any of them, I would say. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that we can sometimes think that our way is the best way. And I'm, I've always remained very open to what other people do. So my role that I'm sort of working on now is trying to get either individually or for collections of people or for associations, try and get the best of both, so putting partnerships together that, that people might not necessarily have thought of. Um, and looking at people's countries, at people's businesses, and looking at themselves and saying, what is this, what's this individual or collective got that's special that actually might be transferable to this person who's looking for something else? And is there a reciprocity between the two? And in order to do that, you're a sort of interlocutor between two groups of people normally who tend to be quite focused, quite siloed in their thinking. And I think it's really useful sometimes for people to come in and just take a really cold look at it and say, gosh, you've got that amazing asset over there, which you never use. Why don't you talk to these people about this? Because they want one of those. And, you know, they've got this and you haven't got any of that. Well, you're, you're, amazing. You're, 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 you're being a creative director again. You're actually bringing, you're bringing cultures together and see it's, what it's fantastic when it works. I mean, it really is exciting. And, and I'm very privileged in the tattoo because my job is to sell the notion of countries coming to the tattoo and it's an expensive business that and you know you've got to persuade people they're going to get value from it and real value it can't just be you know a warm feeling it has to be something much more concrete than that so i've had a lot of people ring me up in my new life saying you know had, had, could you give us some advice on this and could you support us in this and what do you think about that and that's been very stimulating actually um seeing you know where people could use advice and support on on, and particularly in Britain now, post-Brexit, yeah. post-Covid, we, we we've got so many great assets in, in these nations of ours. They're extraordinary. And I think we've got to be very outward looking. And I would call it probably, I mean, writers like sort of Joseph Nye talk about soft power. You know, Obama talked about smart power or real power. I would rather term it subtle power because I think... Mm -hmm. The power of culture and people's attitudes and media and all those other things are they're using a very soft touch with a paintbrush and they take, you know, like in painting, they can either blend your your storyline into the background or they can enhance a color or they can make a color look entirely different. And I think that's such an interesting thing for countries. And I think Britain's really got to get on its game here to, to look outward. Can't cover the whole world because we're, you know, quite a, a modest country now. We, we can't cover everywhere with everything. 
But I think we've got to be much more outward looking and everybody's trying to do this. And it's, it's quite tough sometimes. If everyone understands the big game, it's quite tough to integrate it at a sort of operational level and operationalize how you, how you look at other people's cultures and how you break into markets and how you make friends, build trust and do business. Fantastic, David. Um, that, that was a, a great description of what being a cultural diplomat entails and, and, and actually, you know, what, how you perceive the future of, of, of Britain within the world and, and, and the role of a cultural diplomat within that. Well, we'll see whether it works, won't we, Andrew? We'll, well see whether, we'll, we'll, see we'll, whether we'll my, my definition yeah. stands the test. Yeah, fantastic. Um, a, a final thought, David, what would you say to your 21-year-old self? Um, I wouldn't recognise my 21-year-old self now because um, he was a thing, really. He didn't really sort of, um, wasn't really useful for anything, really. And some people may say that that character has remained. I, I would say um, enjoy the adventure that is ahead of you um, because I think life is a huge adventure, both in its good and its bad. And my gosh, life can be very tough sometimes. You have to be able to d develop a resilience to taking the mm. knocks. I think everybody has to be able to do that. And it's not, it's something a bit more powerful than well, than well-being or this thing. You've got, you've got to be re resilient. It's really, really difficult, this, particularly if your, you know, your upbringing has been a bit, um, a bit, uh, a bit demanding. So I think enjoy the adventure. I think if my 21-year-old, I would be saying, look at every person you meet and understand them better than I did. So their good points and their bad points and and understand them better and draw so much from those experiences. Um, and I think you have to live every day. My gosh, you do. You never know when the meteorite's going to strike the bonnet of your car. And, and, Absolutely. Uh, um, so I think the 21-year-old, if I was asked for my time again, I would lose three stone and press the reset button. I've had an amazing life. I feel really blessed, actually. And uh, I've been very lucky. I've worked jolly hard. And, and the two sort of go together, really. It's... The, the, the only thing people. I want to sort of pull you up on, David, is your comment that uh, the army thought you were a bit of a lovey in being in the arts, and and you said that yeah, you you you, you should have had a had your hair in a bun. Uh, I'm just slightly concerned. I don't I don't see much hair. <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> it's been a number one or a number two since I was eighteen. So well, I'm what is it they say? Not, the, the, there's no no moss on a on a well trodden road. <laughs> no, it reflects sunlight very well now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, David, I'm afraid it's time to wrap up and I just want to say how grateful I am that you took time to join me in the den today. Um, thank you for sharing your thoughts on creativity. It's been fascinating and we could have probably talked for another hour, hour and a half and more, but uh, let's stay in touch and, um, and keep the conversation going. Uh, it's been a huge pleasure, Andrew. Thank you so much for the privilege of, of chatting this morning. So enjoyed it. Thank you. Great pleasure. You've been listening to The Den series of conversations about the business of creativity and creative thinking in business.